welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Today, we are recapping Big League Club because franchise changing moves at the deadline here in 2021. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for joining us. James Fox alongside us. We have a lot to get to today because the White Sox are they're going for it, man. James, like, were you worried? Were you worried that the White Sox weren't going to make a deal this deadline? Come on, I know you were worried. I was not worried. Um, yeah, Come on. It, so I said that, like, the line for angsty, like, angry people could start behind me, but at, like, <laughs> 3.15 on Friday, if nothing was done. I, I was very much against, like, you know, the tweets that you see if you look at Twitter and White Sox Twitter, like, any time another team made a trade that was like, oh, my God, like, they're not going to do anything. Like, I mean, I guess, like, I was privy to some information that maybe most people aren't, you know? Like, I kind of knew second base reliever like those are the targets like I would have been stunned if they did nothing um and then you know thir- what was it Thursday the deal started or was it Wednesday yeah yeah what was it yeah Thursday yeah so yep. they ma- they made the first two deals on Thursday look I think if they do just Cesar Hernandez and um Tapera, Tapera mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people would have been like fine with just that right like they they did their second base upgrade. They added a reliever. You know, even if those two small moves, which we'll get into, even if those were the moves, I think that would have been fine. And then obviously everything changed Friday. And, yeah. you know, the hopefully the seat at the table jokes can can stop and like we can just oh, enjoy a 95 <laughs> win baseball team. Um, no, but, it's never going to end. <laughs> but, you know, my God, man. Like, yeah, I, until like I wanted. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I wanted the deadline to get here faster like it because, was exhausting because, wasn't well, it Well like and I don't even know if like I wanted the deadline to get here quicker so that I could see like the new and improved White Sox or so that like I could stop seeing people like complain all day about like <laughs> the deadline and not making any moves because yeah. like I can't you know one of your colleagues at the score Chris Tannehill Locked on Socks podcast. Shout out to those guys. Like he like goes on vacation and like unplugs and like does these. Like I can't stay off Twitter. Like I, I just like can't. <laughs> like I like I just like enjoy it. It's part of my day. So yeah, like it's just annoying. You see a lot of a, stuff. A lot of times it's annoying. Yeah, James, there's a lot of stuff on those Twitter spheres, and boy, they. Uh, yeah, they all right, let's let's get into it. We should talk about this because it does relate to what you're saying. As the chips continue to drop and names related to the White Sox, potentially linked to the White Sox, Adam Frazier, for example, Eduardo Escobar is another one that was, you know, I guess in a different light than than Adam Frazier because I think the White Sox, and we could talk about this in a little bit, had an opportunity to provide the same sort of value or improve value in a return for Eduardo Escobar. But they decided not to do it, and now Escobar is in Milwaukee. On the other side of things, Adam Frazier – did the White Sox have enough capital in their farm system to acquire a player like that? You're looking at the currency of the game these days, prep picks, high school players, 20-year-olds, top 10 prospects. The White Sox, cumulatively, like they don't have all of it to be able to match. And maybe they didn't want to invest in an Adam Frazier in terms of you know the, just the, the contract and everything else and just what it took to get him. So the White Sox, here's what they did. And I'm sure you're aware of it by now. Cesar Hernandez for Connor Pilkington. We'll talk about that first uh, after you know we detail the trades. But Craig Kimbrell comes aboard. That was the big deal. The icing on the cake, the cherry on top. You blow out the candles, boom. The White Sox did their thing. Craig Kimbrell comes to town, the best reliever in baseball. 
and he comes for Nick Madrigal, a 2018 first-round draft pick, a top-five draft pick, and then Cody Hoyer goes to the other side as well. That's a major league-ready reliever future closer. Before that, Ryan Tapera. You were looking like you would mentioned, James. Ryan Tapera was that relief arm to at least ease some of the stress off the bullpen the White Sox had right now. The return was Bailey Horn, the 2025th-round draft pick. Could be a future starter. We'll detail that for, uh, in a little bit. But first, James, let's start with Connor Pilkington. Double-A left-handed pitcher. He gets drafted. like, I, And we weren't necessarily – like we kept an eye on him. We scattered him on the top 30 list across a couple of seasons. He was with the White Sox farm. But I think he took a pretty big leap in 2021, proved that he could pitch at a high level against better competition in double-A. And now he's joining a Cleveland organization that can develop pitching. But what did the White Sox lose in Connor Pilkington uh, in a return for Cesar Hernandez? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a pretty good trade. I think, you know, not that the White Sox won't miss Connor Pilkington, right? But while they're in their window, I mean, he's not going to be in the White Sox starting rotation anytime soon. You know, he's a third-round pick out of Mississippi State. In his draft year, though, he was rumored to go in the first round. Stuff backed up a little bit. They got him in the third. Even when he entered the system, you know, we ranked him based on pedigree. He he really didn't perform. He struggled in 2019. Stuff was way down. He kind of looked like, you know, maybe like a number five starter tops, right? And then whatever he did, like, over the the shutdown and during the pandemic like has worked, you know, with him and the white Sox developmental team, he was throwing mid nineties in Birmingham with a really good breaker. I mean, I think I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's like 71 K's in, in 50 some innings, you know, which is, which is pretty good. And he's, you know, he always kind of profiled as a back end lefty, but look, I mean, you could, he could be a three or a four on a good day in a, in a big league rotation at some point. And with Cleveland, like there, nobody should, be surprised, right? If he's like in Cleveland's rotation a year and a half from now pitching against the White Sox. I think the big key for this deal was, you know, he's rule five eligible in December, which means the White Sox would have had to protect him to keep him and put him on the 40 man. There's a roster crunch that we're going to talk about a little bit more. He just, they just couldn't afford to keep Connor Pilkington, I feel like. And if you can add, you know, a Cesar, Hernandez for this year and next like I think that's a trade that works for both sides and obviously when the trade was made we didn't know the next dominoes that were going to fall right where like now it looks like you're going to need Cesar Hernandez anyway so you know I think as a mass of like three trades like it definitely makes sense like what they did and I think you know for he's he's not nothing and like I tried telling Cleveland fans fans that right I'm like yes he's expendable on our end but like it's not a it's not a bad return for them I think that was a great return for both sides I think it makes a lot of sense because Cleveland is giving up a piece yeah with with control and it's a position player sometimes you know you value them differently with them playing every day uh, but it's just the state of what each team stands at this point, right? I mean, Connor Pilkington has a chance and will make the 40-man roster. It wouldn't make any sense for Cleveland to leave him off. And that's a huge point by by you, James, talking about the Rule 5 implications. The White Sox, <laughs> it's going to be hard for them to find a spot for him on the 40-man. And I think he would be worth it because of the stuff and the leaps that he's taking. Like you said, James, 71 strikeouts over 62 innings this year. And the numbers are have improved. So this is a future big league arm that Cleveland's getting in return, but it's a double-A arm in a window the White Sox are trying to win. 
and Cesar Hernandez fills a hole. And it's a wonderful deal, I think. I think it just makes so much sense for both sides. And you talked about, too, the roster implications. I, we're going we're gonna to get into that. But the White Sox just lost two major league players, major league regulars, really, in acquiring Craig Kimbrell. And you're going to do this five days a week, seven days a week, out of the, you know every day out of the year to acquire the best closure to try and win a World Series. The White Sox, they invested a little bit of capital in selecting Nick Madrigal where they did. And the development of Cody Hoyer suggested that this is going to be a mainstay high-end bullpen piece for over the next five, six seasons. The White Sox are trying to win. They got Craig Kimbrell. What's your thoughts on that trade, Madrigal and Hoyer for Kimbrell? So, yeah, like it's a, it's a, I think it's a great trade for the White Sox. Now, we're not really, you know, doing the Cubs side of this right now, but it makes sense for them too. I mean, I think if we talked before the deadline, we like, and we had the conversation that Ken Williams and Rick Hahn claimed to have had, right? Like, who's the guy that they should get if they could get anyone? Well, Craig Kimbrell, obviously. I just, my impression of what the Cubs were going to get for him was very high. Like, I thought they were going to get a top 100 prospect and another like org top 10 from a good team with a good system. So, I, I just like didn't think the White Sox had what it took to get Craig Kimbrell. So, I kind of like put it out of my mind. Um, but then once you hear that they're talking and the Sox are in and, you know, the Dodgers don't really love the $16 million option for next year. And that's not really something that Tampa is willing to do either. You kind of start thinking like, OK, well, what what's the headliner here? And I think we can assume now, you know, Madrigal or, or Crochet were the names in the talks. Now, Madrigal a pretty good get for the Cubs. I mean, you get five years of a guy that can like start at second for them. I think he's expendable for the White Sox. I think it's a spot where the White Sox can, you know, they might not get the same production because Nick Madrigal can be a three to four war second baseman every year, but what he does, you know, you can argue just isn't that valuable on this White Sox team. So using that chip to get something that can help you win a World Series, it's just one of those things that, you know, we've kind of talked about as the prospect podcast, right? I think both of us were in agreement. Like, yeah, like eventually, like they're going to be trading prospects to like win. And we were both fine with that. And, you know, it's just like the nature of the business and hopefully it works out. Yeah, I think the magical return for the Cubs, it, it fits what they're doing organizationally. They're trying to transform themselves back into a ball and play team. And so, you know, you look at a lot of the prospects they got across their deadline. This ain't no Cubs podcast. We're not going to get too deep into it. But there's a lot of bat to ball skill up the middle that they have now and to look forward to that I think Madrigal is just going to play right into the hands of what the Cubs are trying to do in building a team that wants to compete again. For the White Sox sake, I agree with you. I think Nick Madrigal was a little underwhelming coming up and we were expecting a little bit better production expectation wise when it comes to what can he do defensively, uh, how is he as a base runner, what are his instincts, and it's great. Like, the contact is wonderful. But, man, like, if you're able to use him as your headliner and combine it with a six-round pick that was more of a under-the-radar surprise transformation in Cody Hoyer, I think you take that deal, especially gaining another year of control. I'm upset about losing Cody Hoyer. I think this is an arm that's very underrated amongst like the types of players that were moved around this deadline. This is going to be a really good reliever moving forward. But I just, again, you, you got to do what you got to do to win. 
And the White Sox continued to do what they had to do in, in trying to win and believing that Ryan Tapero was another piece to this puzzle. And they used 2020 fifth round draft pick Bailey Horn to acquire him. So it's like you look at the deals now, James. You got the high leverage piece in Kimbrell, who's probably your ninth inning guy. We'll see what happens. I think, you know, Larusa might mix and match those two. Use what Hendricks in, in high leverage situations prior to the ninth inning because he can go multiple innings sometimes. Kimbrell's like your best pitcher in baseball. You know, like I, I don't know. I think Kimbrell might be your ninth inning guy. But what it does is it offers so much levity to the other arms in the bullpen that were asked to get high leverage outs when you have Tapera and Kimbrel now. So what does it mean for Michael Kopech? What does it mean for Garrett Crochet in their roles? When Evan Marshall returns, what does that mean? What are they going to do you know, moving forward? Because I don't want to see Jose Ruiz pitching meaningful innings ever again. So, I mean, there's, there's implications down the line, James. I think now is the time we can finally look past what's this roster going to look like. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Kimbrell and, and Hendricks, it, it is going to be interesting to see how they're used. I mean, full disclosure, you know, we are recording Sunday afternoon and the White Sox game is on and Craig Kimbrell is in to pitch the eighth in a tie game. So there it is. So this is like some of the interesting things, right? Like I think Craig Kimbrell will close if Hendricks can't pitch whatever that day. And, you know, the days that, you know, I think they'll do this type of stuff. I think one of them pitches the eighth, one of them pitches the ninth. You know, the fact that they already had a relationship seems good. Um, the White Sox front office has done a good job, like talking to their team and their players and, you know, about who to add to this mix of players that they have. So my guess is everybody's completely on board. Their quotes have, have indicated that that's the case. So yeah, I think everything is going to go fine. And, you know, I think it was good to hear that Kenny and, and Rick basically said, like, you know, they set out to acquire one person that could make the biggest difference for the club and they were able to do it. And they, you know, they gave up two nice pieces. But like you said, I mean, I feel like Ryan Tapera basically takes the place of Cody Hoyer. And then you add Craig Kimbrell, like on top of it, right? Like that just like shortens games completely. So, you know, pretty, pretty exciting day. Yeah. Friday and a day that I wasn't really expecting, I would say. Like, I thought they had one more move in them. Like, I, I wanted another reliever. I think they needed two. I didn't know that they would add the reliever, though. So that's where the White Sox stand. And how about this? Gavin Sheets, Mike Rodolfo, they're, they're still here. Jake Berger, Jimmy Lambert, they're all still here. Were you surprised to see that? Uh, yeah. So, you know, talking about the raw, you know, there's just roster crunch issues, man. Like their 40 man is at 40. Luis Robert is set to come off the IL at some point. Like it might not be Tuesday, but you know, they have to create a roster spot for him. Obviously, you know, Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, they're, they're like 40 man spots aren't in jeopardy or anything. Like they're, they're part of this thing, regardless of if they're at Charlotte or not. But I mean, you know, you have some other guys on the fringes, like on the periphery here, guys that we've been covering for years. Your your Blake Rutherfords and your your Zach Birdies and you know a whole, whole a whole host of other guys that are on the forty man roster. You talked about Miker. I mean, Adolfo's out of options in the spring, so he's either going to be the White Sox right fielder or he's probably going to be in another organization. And these are just things that that happen. You don't get to keep players forever. We saw, you know, Tyler Johnson was collateral damage to to one of the trades right i think that was the the first trade the the pilkington 
for Cesar Hernandez trade. They they released Tyler Johnson, I think, in similar fashion to what they did with Ryan Burr a few years back. Like Johnson just had knee surgery. He can't help you this year. You're not allowed to put a minor league player on the 60-day DL. So I think by releasing him, you can re-sign him to a minor league deal without him having to go through the the DFA process. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But there's going to be players that people have heard of that we have talked about that just aren't going to be here because it's the time is just kind of up. We're looking forward to uh, Jake Lamb, Yasmani Grandal, Luis Robert. We're looking forward to them, you know, returning to the active White Sox roster. And the, the Jake Lamb thing right now, James, is what's interesting to me. It's because the, the White Sox have to find room for him to reinstate him or else they're, they got to DFA him. And I don't think they want to do that. What do you think is the next move? Who's getting sent down? I know Gavin Sheets has the options, but you're thinking of Luis Robert as well. So there's going to be somebody who's active that might have to, you know, some things might have to change. Yeah, so I think Jimmy Lambert's up today. I think he's easy to send down for one of the position players. For I mean, and Tony LaRusso said today that Robert is likely not back Tuesday. So if it's Lamb, you know, I think you can send down Lambert and you can just keep Lamb up. Um, for this game or for, you know, going forward here. But then, yeah, like Robert, you, you're going to need a spot. Like, obviously, like some of these guys aren't really minor league issues. It's more major league content that we're doing here for this episode. But I mean, you saw Billy Hamilton went on the injured list. Um, Brian Goodwin is on the team. Gavin Sheets is on the team. The issue is like your Jake Lambs and your Brian Goodwins, like those guys can't be sent to the minors. They need to be designated for assignment and go through that whole process. And, Look, I just don't know. It's really easy for me or you or fans on Twitter to just say like, oh, just DFA Lamb. Like, but the organization like might not want to do that. So my guess is like Gavin Sheets goes down because Gavin Sheets has options and you can figure it out later if they're not ready to make that decision yet. So I think the easiest call is just sending down guys with options, but they don't have they don't have many like easy decisions, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And Jimmy Lambert, a few days ago, went two innings in Charlotte, and there was some frenzy going on, or at least just you were thinking about what could be happening as he got pulled after just two innings, and we didn't hear from anybody in Charlotte. And it led you to believe, hey, is something in the works? It turned out no, and Lambert ended up starting the day you know that we're recording now at the big league level. But then it leads you to think, okay, what were the conversations? Who, you know, the White Sox were dangling out there at the trade deadline? The top 10 prospects in the White Sox system these days, is it enough to pull what we're seeing across the league? Another thing, too, is Michael Kopech's usage. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have made sense for him to pitch in Lambert's spot? Because if, if not, you know, he pitched the day prior, so and he went multiple innings. So you figured that he wasn't obviously going to get the start the next day. Lambert did. But this season, that move in particular kind of indicated to me, James, that the White Sox are committed to having Michael Kopech just work out of the pen this year, stretch him out accordingly, but not necessarily put a lot of stress on that arm. And uh, they're, they're going to monitor him day to day in between every outing. It seems like they're really taking it easy on him. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a little similar to, like, all the Garrett Crochet discussions we've had, but I think, like, there's more certainty that that Michael Kopech looks like a member of your starting rotation in the future. Um, 
and I think like, look, Carlos Rodon, who knows? I think the org has surprised us a little bit here, you know, the last few weeks. I mean, I, I thought that Lance Lynn would resign, but I didn't think that it would necessarily be in season. Um, it's easy for us to say like, oh yeah, just go get Craig Kimbrell, but that's a big check that Jerry Reinsdorf is writing for next year. I mean, their payroll going into next season is like just under $150 million. And that doesn't count any of their arbitration raises. So like, I, I'm guessing that the plan is for Michael Kopech to be in the rotation next year. But the problem with that is like, it, with the like they're, they're trying to win divisions and trying to win the world series. So if you're in a contending team, I just don't know how you depend on Michael Kopech for, I mean, even 140 innings isn't that many, but I don't know if he can throw 140 being used the way he's used this year. So I thought they would use this opportunity. You go out and get two relievers. You've transitioned Lopez to the pen and he's, he's looked pretty decent in that role. This seems like the perfect opportunity to get Kopech some starts, rest Dylan Cease, rest Carlos Rodon, um, you know, try to get him up closer to a hundred innings to better serve you for next year in the future. But it doesn't, you're right. Like it doesn't seem like that's the approach that they're taking. They're using him kind of like in a, in a high leverage role, um, which is a little bit puzzling for me. Yeah, I totally prefer Michael Kopech to be in the rotation, of course. Um, How important are these August and September games? Like, and I know like Tony will say like, oh, nothing's been won yet, right? But like the Indians are like sold off parts. They're eight back, you know. If the White Sox go 500 the rest of the way, the Indians have to play like 750 ball or so to, you know, even come close to catching them. What is is there some rule or something that says that Michael Kopech can't get starts and extend himself right. here and then still be like a high leverage reliever in the playoffs? Because I feel like that's what matters. Like, I, I guess I just like don't really understand the point of Michael Kopech pitching the eighth inning of a game on a Tuesday night, like in July when he could like piggyback start off somebody else, you know, and maybe that was, maybe that was the plan this week or, you know, this weekend following Dallas Keuchel and Kopech just kind of had a rough go. Maybe that is what they're doing and we're going to see that transition. But yeah, I just, to me, like he needs, he needs more innings than he's getting. Um, he's obviously, he had a hamstring injury, so We'll we'll see how it goes, but you yeah. just you just acquired two high leverage right. type arms at the deadline, and I was thinking that you did that so that he wouldn't necessarily have to be one for you. And and how about that? Know. Like he prior to this move, the best high leverage reliever the White Sox had outside of Liam Hendricks. Yeah, he was but pitching the eighth you. inning. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I I think I I mean, if you get into the playoffs and one of these starters gives you like five or four and a half like maybe then you can go to michael kopak right and then if everything goes according to plan you have tapera or bummer and, right. and then you have like hendrix and and uh kimbrell at the end like i, I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense so we'll see like they, they have a lot of time you know over the next two months i think there's still 57 games to go, but you know, I do worry just with oh yeah, we'll just pencil Kopech in next year. I feel like a lot of people don't realize that yeah, it's right. not a robot. You can't just he's not just gonna throw hundred and seventy innings next year. Like after no, no. like after never doing that before. 
yeah, that's all about this season, monitoring his workload, which the White Sox are clearly doing, and saying, okay, we got him through his first full Major League season following some, you know, two years off and a, and a serious arm surgery. And this is a this is a freak athletically, you could tell. I mean, when he rehabbed and was getting better from the Tommy John, you know, that, that's a guy who excelled through that process. And we see it on the mound. He's, he's electric. But again, when you're talking about a starting pitcher, there's a lot of stress that goes on to your body when you commit to that fully. So you're thinking about, okay, the workload this year, how it impacts the process beginning in the offseason of 2022 going into that season. So, yeah, there's a lot to take in there. It's not as easy as, okay, he's going to be in the rotation. This offseason, it's going to be a lot of work for the White Sox and, and Michael Kopech himself obviously to prep himself for a full season as a starter. And what does that mean? Is it 120 innings if he makes it through? Do the White Sox, like this offseason, add more starting pitching depth to allow Kopech to go every other start or every two starts or whatever it may be? I think there's there's more to just saying every fifth day it's Kopech in 2022. But, I mean, look, we're, we're looking at 2021 right now. We're, we're trying to win a World Series. And Kopech's a part of it. Garrett Crochet's a part of it. What's going to happen with him? What's going to happen with Dylan Cease moving forward? Dallas Keuchel, uh, Carlos Rodon. You know, there's there's question marks. You can wonder about these things, and it all plays into effect. But right now, this is the group, James, and it looks like looks like they're pretty darn good. Like you said, in August, in September, let's be real, those games don't matter. Yeah, you're trying to get it all stacked up. I mean, the only yeah, the only thing that matters is the playoffs. And, you know, we could debate how much home field matters or, you know, like the, the one benefit they have is that the division's really bad. They're, they're not at the mercy of a, you know, a coin flip game. They're, they're going to get it. Oh, it's beautiful. They're, they're going to get a series. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so like, do you want to be that number one seed or that number two seed so that you're at home? Yeah, sure. But I mean, if you're the three seed, I mean, it's a hell of a lot better than being in the wild card game. So, you know, they're in a decent spot. They got to get right. You're just actively, you know, not being chased by a division opponent. If you're trying to win and you're concerned about those top seeds, I think the White Sox are thinking to themselves, we're talented enough to just play our game and let everything fall into place. And we're not necessarily doing the things consciously to chase teams in the other divisions to have the best record in the MLB. Yeah, they might say that they want to be the best team in the major league baseball record wise, or at least in the AL, but realistically they're just trying to, they're trying to get right themselves and they're talented enough to allow things to just play itself out. Yeah, for sure. So I'm looking too, James, because as we move forward now is for our end on future socks. Also, by the way, shout out Sebi Zavala, uh, first career home run, and then hits two more plus a grand slam, uh, and then adds a fourth hit to the night. I mean, that was an outstanding performance. Yeah, so I was at the Sebi Zavala. Like, I can't believe they lost the Sebi Zavala game. <laughs> like, Sebi hit. It was the fir- uh, first time in Major League history that a player hit their first three home runs in the same game, which... Right. And look, Sebi's always had big power. It's just, you know, the issues have been, you know, like a 30-plus percent strikeout rate at Charlotte, which obviously... Is a, is a significant problem, but if the power plays like this, I mean, if, if he's like a 10 to 12 home run guy, like he's a backup catcher in the big leagues, like for, you know, the next 10 years probably, because the yeah. pitcher, pitchers like throwing to him, like how many backup catchers have we seen that can't hit at all? 
you know, so, mm-hmm. and he's good enough defensively to where, you know, even if it's not here, like he carves out a spot for himself. He's on the 40 man. He doesn't have a ton of options left either. So, you know, he's another guy lumped into that whole discussion. So, you know, really quick before you get into our top 30, yeah. one of the things that we didn't really touch on was, you know, the Ryan to trade, you know, brought Bailey Horn, um, goes to the Cubs and Bailey Horn was obviously like one of your guys, I think a little bit, you know, he was the, he was their third best draft pick in the weird 2020 draft. He got 150,000 out of Auburn in the fifth round. It was really like their, their third pick, you know, the only thing I'll point out there, I mean, it's a, it's a solid lefty arm, you know, might end up in a bullpen, decent return for the Cubs. But the thing that sticks out to me is just the number of pitchers that the White Sox have selected and like been able to turn into stuff that they need, right? Like they they took Avery Weems and paid him a ten thousand dollar bonus. He's part of the Lance Lynn trade. You just got a second baseman for Connor Pilkington. You know, you've turned around and you've used Bailey Horn in a trade to get something that you need. So you know, we did all this draft talk and we talked about how they needed to get younger because of the trades. But you know, if they keep developing talent to trade, it'll benefit them greatly going forward. I undervalued those two guys' trade value. Like, I didn't think Pilkington and Bailey Horn would bring you back much. I, I was, you know, a little bit surprised. Um, so who knows, right? I mean, you you look at this year's draft class, and Brooks Goswine is a fourth-round pick out of Bradley that you know, some evaluators really like, I mean, maybe that's a guy next year, like he's getting spun for something all of a sudden after his stuff ticks up in the White Sox developmental program. So, you know, they just, it's, it's one of the things where not to go back to the Cubs over and over again. And Theo Epstein is going to be in the hall of fame someday, but it's one of the things in that cub window that they didn't do. They, they didn't develop pitchers even to the point where like they could turn them and spin them into stuff that they need and the White Sox have done a really good job of this lately and hopefully it's something that they can continue to do yeah you're right and the value of lefties right lefty currency Bailey Horn not a lot of innings attached to his arm had Tommy John in 2018 and then went up to Auburn drafted as redshirt junior after just what four starts COVID related uh, season so the, the Cubs got a young inexperienced arm who pitched in the SEC uh, and had a pretty full 2019 season. So, I mean, that was a nice sample size. And he improved his his body first season with the White Sox. The low A was terrible, like defensively. There's a lot of young players. And Bailey Horn was subject of pretty poor performance behind him. And that extends outings, and you don't go deeper into ball games because of it. But we're seeing the stuff in his game that was allow, that allowed them to net a pretty high leverage bullpen arm that you feel like is going to play a huge part into a World Series run. And if it's a rental bullpen arm, one for one, you know, an older left-handed starter with not a lot of experience and the success, at least in terms of on paper for Bailey Horn overall, isn't great. I think the stuff is something the White, uh, the Cubs can be optimistic about and the White Sox took advantage. And James, like, like he mentioned, you know, there's a lot of Avery Weems, Connor Pilkington, Bailey Horn, Brooks Goswine is even a left-handed pitcher talking about developing these players. It's true. You know, the White Sox now these days, we've seen it over the last two draft classes. They've, they've made a, a conscious effort to, and even going back to 2019, when you, you look at the second through fourth round picks, I mean, those are three high school players 
they're adding to the mix. DJ Gladney as well later into the into the uh, thick of things as well in terms of high school players. So the currency of the game, that's where we're standing at now. And two, they have opportunities to develop longer in your system and maybe one of them pops. And that's what the, the White Sox are looking for. And that's what the Cubs are hoping for too, with all of the moves that they made and the amount of prospects returned to them. Maybe one of them does pop. Interesting though, that they did acquire Pete Crow Armstrong for Javier Baez. James, I remember covering that draft class and Pete Crow Armstrong kind of jumped. I know he wasn't a match for the White Sox because he's an outfielder and, you know, but as a prop outfielder with that skill set, I think that was a pretty good return for Baez. Yeah, I was very, I was very surprised um, to see that they were able to bring him back. The Mets uh, are doing some some weird stuff lately. Some yeah, things yeah. That you said something really... about Kumar Rocker. Yeah, it sounds like this. it sounds like Kumar Rocker's not going to sign. Um, oh man, which is crazy. I mean, Kumar Rocker falls <laughs> to the tenth pick in the draft. It sounds like they had a deal with Boris and Rocker for about ten or for six million dollars. There's an issue with the physical with his elbow. Um, they they can't agree to a deal, but it it is complete nonsense. I mean, it's just like yeah, it's the Mets. Six million dollars is a bargain. Just pay it. Have him in your system. Figure it out from there. If they don't sign him, he can go back to Vandy, or he can kind of go back to Vandy and just like rehab and pitch on the side and whatever. But he'll be back in next year's draft for mm-hmm. similar money. Um, it's you know, it's just. I don't know if this kid was able to like go on the open market right now, he'd get a heck of a lot more than $6 million. So if I, if I were a Mets fan, like whether he's going to have Tommy John surgery or not, like I'd rather just have Kumar rocker in my infrastructure and figure it out from there. So that's just a a minor story outside. If you're into this type of thing, which I hope you are, if you're listening to this podcast, keep an eye on that story with the Mets, only the Mets, right? Uh, So to recap the moves, Connor Pilkington, double a starter, left-handed, uh, a draft pick of the White Sox, homegrown, but had to be placed on the 40-man or else he would be eligible for a Rule 5 draft in the White Sox class upcoming. Uh, Cleveland is almost certainly going to add him to the 40-man if they haven't already. So it, it's a good move for Cleveland. Pilkington made strides. It sucks to see him go. He's just not in the White Sox plans because of the window. You know, this, is, this isn't years where you can just wait and see anymore. Um, the White Sox can't afford to wait and see on Pilkington, even though the, he was making some strides. Uh, so we wish him the best, of course. And Bailey Horn, unproven, future starter potential, maybe a, a, a reliever floor, but that's a left-hander with plenty of potential to start. And the Cubs got him for half a season of a rental that they weren't expecting to keep anyway. So, you know, a good move for both sides there as well. And what the White Sox were able to move on from and Mick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, I mean, that's a pretty serious commitment to give away multiple years of control for an everyday second baseman. Yeah, he's got his limitations, but you, again, we, we talked about it already. Fourth overall pick in Nick Madrigal. So and Cody Hoyer was a nice surprise who developed into a late, you know, high leverage late inning reliever. So trade season, this is the result of what the White Sox were able to build. All homegrown developed pieces and the returns now are let's win a World Series. So that's really exciting. As we look forward now, James, we're wrapping this conversation up. We need to come up with the top 30, midseason top 30 prospect list of the Chicago White Sox. And for us, we touched on a little bit, going to be some new names. Baseball America did release their top 30 um, in the White Sox system. Colson Montgomery. Let's just read the top five right now. Colson Montgomery, one. Yoakis Hespedes, West Cath, Norhe Vera, Andrew Dahlquist, one through five. 
anybody on that list that surprised you across the top 30? And how do you feel that Colson Montgomery is number one? Yeah, I think he's probably one. I mean, we talked to Jim Callis, too, after the draft, and he said that he would have him one. I mean, Cespedes is in high A. He's played a little bit better of late, but it's, you know, it's a lot of strikeouts, and it's high A, and he's 23. So, yeah, I think Colson Montgomery is probably the number one prospect. Cespedes is in there, too. West Cath is up there, obviously, and then it gets interesting because it, it kind of falls on preference, right? I mean, you got three high school arms that everybody knows, plus Norhe Vera, who I'm working on, like trying to get some info on. He has not pitched for the Dominican Summer League White Sox, and he's on the roster. So, you know, I'm curious to, I, I might reach out to Josh Norris at Baseball America and find out what I can find out there. Um, but yeah, like, I think there's a chance that Vera is the best pitcher in the system, but you know, we just, we haven't seen him. So, you know, good starts from Kelly Thompson and Dahlquist this week. Seems like those guys might be rounding into form. Like high school pitchers are, are fickle, obviously, but then where do you rank Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets? I think is interesting, right? Because now fans have seen them. I think fans see Jake Berger, Gavin Sheets, and they're like, how do these guys not rank higher? Because they're you know, they're helping the big league team. Like they've already made it like, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're 25 year olds and you, you know, you weigh that against the upside of guys that are much younger. So, you know, that's a glimpse at some of the names that we're looking at. In addition to Jose Rodriguez, Brian Ramos down in Kannapolis. And then obviously the list um, gets a little bit more tricky from there. Yeah, excited to, to, to go over things with our team. You know, Romy Gonzalez is finally making a name of himself. You know, he, he's been kind of stagnant in the system until this season. I mean, you lose out in 2020. He's a perfect example of the 2020 minor league season getting canceled, how it impacts a player like Romy Gonzalez. 2021 has been very exciting for him. I'm curious to see how he ends up. Tanner McDougal, high school right-handed pitcher, the White Sox were able to draft this year breaks Baseball America's top 30 uh, in the White Sox system. So it's fun. It's it's going to be fun. And we're really looking forward to putting that out there for you. Hopefully it, uh, we get this done before September. I can imagine that we will. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of random names, random to you, but maybe uh, if you're following, good on you. We really appreciate you following and listening, of course. But it's going to look different. And I'm excited to see – where we come up with our standing on Matthew Thompson and Andrew Dahlquist. Seems like they're always paired together. Yeah, do, and, we, and do we break them apart <laughs> finally? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dahlquist is top five in Baseball America, but Matthew Thompson, all the information that we've known, the athleticism, the stuff, so good. And he's pitching well lately, especially, like you mentioned. So it's going to be a fun discussion. Anything else, James, that you want to touch on before we get out of here? Yeah, I'm going to touch just a little bit on Romy, just because it's it's just such an interesting case. Like, that's another guy who Nick Hostetler was very high on that he talked to us about. He was an 18th-round pick um, out of, like, he, he played at Miami, but then I think he went to Tampa. You know, he was a junior pick in 2018. He He hit, like, 10 homers in rookie ball. And then I want to say he hit like eight or 10 more in Kannapolis prior to the shutdown. And he was kind of like one of these guys that I was like interested in because he was playing center field. Um, and then, you know, the, the shutdown happened and then he came back this year and apparently he, so he's one of these guys who is just in incredible shape. Like it, it kind of reminiscent of like uh, Adam Engel. And I mean, Romy Gonzalez can play shortstop and center. So, which basically means he can play left, right, second, and third, I'm guessing, too. So, 
I mean, if you look at the numbers that he's put up in double A, I mean, like we don't just like look at box scores to make our top 30, but I mean, baseball America has him up at 16. Like he'll definitely be ranked for us. And if he's at double A already, I mean, you're talking about a guy that if he keeps doing what he's doing, there's no reason to believe that he won't go to Charlotte and do similar. I mean, he could be a utility guy in the big leagues as soon as next year. I mean, that could be like a Larry Garcia replacement or something, you know? So the fact that he can play center and shortstop is a huge deal. It's not just, you know, the, the 20 homers that he's probably going to hit in double a, we have a lot to cover in the top 30 this year and we're going to, we have a couple things planned. So hopefully you can stick around and, and check that out once we do, eventually get it all out there for you. James has been fun. Now we can, you know, it's not 40 man roster spots of guys who can come up and see what they have. It's valuable 40 man roster spots. We know how the White Sox feel about them. We're going to keep an eye on the way they maneuver things around with Jake Lamb on his way back. And obviously we want to see Luis Robert on his way back, but man, this is win now type mode. And we're losing out on Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, who both proved themselves to be major league players. Uh, in exchange for let's let's maximize our opportunity to win. So new era White Sox baseball, we're looking forward to it. Thanks for being along with us throughout this entire ride here at Future Sox. It was a long trade deadline. It's tons of speculation, worry, angst. We're saying make a move, Rick Hahn. Well, he did. He made multiple, and uh, we're, we're pretty happy with it. So for James Fox, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next time.